This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. guys and welcome to another episode of the Young Lion Cast, your fortnightly audio source of all things New Japan Pro Wrestling right here on the Pod Mania Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Rob Goodwin, and I'm joined as ever by Chris O'Brien. How are you, Chris? I think corned beef stuck in my teeth, Rob. Is there anything else worse in the world than corned beef in the teeth? Um... Yeah, an apple, like a bit of apple skin, because it takes forever to get out. Oh, strawberry pips. Oh, mate. They're the worst, aren't they? Just the worst. You, Oh, God. Is that worse, though, than paper cuts? <laughs> Fun fact, I got a paper cut when I was in primary six. This isn't the whole story. I like, it's not <laughs> like paper, the paper cut didn't traumatise me. Um, I haven't been able to touch paper since. <laughs> um... I went up to the teacher and going, Miss, I've had, I have a paper cut. And she was like, oh, yeah, they're the worst because they hurt. I'm like, mate, I've been cut. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I'm a pretty, at this stage, because of bl- knowing how blading works, I'm a pretty decent expert on cuts. And, um, yeah, I can <laughs> clarify that most cuts fucking... Actually, do you ever cut yourself and not realize how you've done it? All the time, mate. All the time. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird, isn't it? Because you look down and go, oh, I am bleeding horribly. What the fuck is going on? And paper cuts never just bleed. They piss blood as well, which is always oh. worse. It is always the worst, isn't it? Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we got ever so slightly sidetracked, as is per when we open these podcasts. Um, we have got a special bonus podcast. Oh, you lucky people. Um, because we were so late uploading our new beginning in Osaka um, podcast because I was severely under the weather. So we have got a wrestling classic episode for you. And the podcast basically where we take three matches from Japanese wrestling history and we review them for you now because I am a relative noob and Chris, in comparison to me, is a relative messiah, not just because he looks like Jesus. Now, what we've done is today, usually there is some sort of theme or there is some sort of actual cohesion between them. Like, for example, where we just decided we were going to go full Suzuki for an episode and review only Suzuki matches. Um, but here, we don't seem to have a theme. The only thing that really links them is that two of them are from Pro Wrestling Noah, which we have never done on this podcast, Chris. Am I right in saying that? I mean, we briefly discussed it. Um, at the start of show, like when the Sumo Hall match um, show happened a few months ago, we did like briefly discuss that at the start. Cause we, as you see, as we go f- through this podcast, we have very d- different views on Kaito Kiyomaya. So we start then with the first match that we are reviewing, and this is from Pro Wrestling Noah from the 2nd of November 2019, the Noah the Best 2019 show, Battle of Aesthetics, and it was the GHC Heavyweight Championship match between Kaito Kiyomaya 
and Kino. Now, Kino obviously won the N1 victory, the New Japan version, sorry, the NOAA version of New Japan's G1 Climax show. They've been doing that a lot recently, haven't they? Like, for example, New GHC Championship is a pretty belt, but it's just the IWGP title. It's the exact same, yeah. And we've already mentioned this about this tournament, but it's the whole, can I copy your homework? Yes, just make like, sure it's not identical. From what I understand, it's different because... Actually, I almost got um, done for plagiarism because I let someone um, look at my homework in college and they uploaded the same thing. And they were like, how can you prove that you didn't um, that you didn't steal from him? I'm like, I uploaded it two weeks before he did. <laughs> um, Chris, why but did yeah, you choose this match? A, well, very quickly, apparently the end was a bit different. It's like in four... Um, blocks like four smaller blocks right okay so it was the same with super junior with their junior tag league actually well not they're just their junior league where they have it in like four blocks of like i think it's either four or six okay and like have and like mixed block matches from day to day which i can imagine getting very confusing yes i can imagine so at least with two blocks you're fairly sure of where everything is but trying to keep hold of four blocks good grief that's been an issue keeping up with like Stardom's um, high speed Grand Prix, where because they're not all block matches in one day, like I need, to, and there's no, I can't find anywhere that actually has just the brackets. It's finding it really hard to know who's winning. I just assume it's Azumi because it's it's basically hers to win. So. Yeah, it, you assume it's going to be Azumi, don't you? Yeah, but like then again, Death Yamasan's on like four points. So. <laughs> Fuck's sake, Death Yamasan. Um, I think you secretly like it. Anyway, yeah, um, the reason I picked this match, Rob, was because I went with modern classics, and I was like, okay, I don't actually want to do this match, because I like Kaito, you don't like Kaito, this isn't the best example of Kaito. Um, so I was like, okay, but I, I don't want to put a, a New Japan modern classic in there, because we do a lot of modern classic New Japan stuff, and I, I, I wanted to break the mold. So, also, if I put, like, Suzuki in there, Rob will pick Suzuki. I'm getting sick of Suzuki. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, I, so I put in Mia Hara versus Jake Lee, which is a r- match both me and Rob really like. With a lot to talk about, it sort of spurred my interest in checking out wrestling outside of New Japan and J- when it comes to Japan. But then um, I also thought, okay, that might not be enough. He might want something different. So I put Ayushirai versus Mary Iwatani because Rob is in love with Mayu Iwatani. He is indeed. Thought, yes, and um, Ishirai is amazing. And Rob, has, Rob is, I think, is fully aware that he hasn't got to see the best of Ishirai yet. That's so correct. I was like, okay, he might want to scratch that curiosity itch. Also, I'm pretty sure in the one I was picking, they, ki- they kissed at the end. It was weird. Um, so I was like, okay, but this is dead, sir. He's not going to pick, pick the Noah match. He doesn't like Kaito Kiyomaya. I won't, we won't have to have this argument yet. No, um, no. apparently Rob wants a fight, so we're going to have one. <laughs> so let's delve into this match then. So we start about three minutes in. I mean, there was there was no wasted motion at the start of this match. Straight away, um, apron DDT. And for a while, Kino just decided he was going to really, really hurt Kiyomaya and this was sort of epitomized by the pendulum into the guardrail spot which you loved so much Chris yeah because you don't see that do you 
I must admit, it was a very, very strange spot to see. And then to use him as a battering ram to open the gates of the guardrail, I thought was quite inventive, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, and to be also safe, because, like, it's just going to swing open. Like, you see those guardrails will swing open with a gust of wind. But, um... <laughs> His thing though, but like when I first watched this match, Rob was like, "Oh, the Noah Sumo whole match show was really good," and it was a week where like, like power struggle was the week before we were going into Tag League, and I was sort of like, I- "I'm not watching New Japan this month, Rob." It was my condition when we started the Young Lion again, and um, so I was like, "I need some new wrestling," and Rob was like, "Well, the Sumo Hall match, the Sumo Hall show was good." I'm like, "Ah, fuck it, I watch the Sumo Hall show. It's free. It's all. It's on YouTube." Um, so I watched it through, saw Chris Ridway, great stuff. I forget their names, but like two big lads, like in the second or third match, just beat the shit out of each other. And I was really, really, really confused about why they hated each other so much. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, Chris, because I know there is some story behind the hatred between Kino and Kiyomaya. Now, me and Chris are Noah noobs, especially me. Chris has some sort of limited understanding of the workings of Noah. I know Noah basically until, like, Kenta leaves. That's where my knowledge basically ends. And then, like, I'd only see Marafuji in um, New Japan and Old Japan after that, really, so... Yeah, so... Uh, when it comes to the current product, I basically knew um, Nakajima, because he was in G1, um, Goji Yazaki, because he's been there for fucking ever, and, um... What's his pass? Um, Marafuji. So, that's all I knew. Fair enough. The idea, I think, is that these two are or were good friends or, you know, those sort of rivals that, you know, they've just got to bait the best out of each other. I think that's the sort of idea, and I think that is, that is brought out quite well in this match. You've got yeah, Kiyomaya. like we know each other. And also, um, there was a video package, but I don't think... Like, you know how, like, the New Japan... Even, like, the New Japan and also the Old Japan video packages sort of transcend the language barrier and you get what the story is? Yeah. You didn't get that on this video package. No, I think it was very much relying on the fact that... Um, they were talking Ke- a lot. Yeah, Kino won the N1, and Kiyomaya would have to defend his championship because Kino won the M one There wasn't a lot of time spent on what the backstory was, or there wasn't for, you know, for someone who's coming new into this show to basically go, oh, right, okay, this is the backstory of this match. Um from what, from my limited understanding, however, Kino was basically trying to hurt Kiyomaya as much as he possibly could. Um, that top rope double stomp to the back of Kiyomaya's head, that first one, good God, that looked absolutely horrendous. Really, really, really savage. My only problem was, Kino especially, there seemed to be, after 10 minutes or, you know, 15 minutes, there seemed to be a lot of repeated spots. Yeah, repetit, like, they did a lot of apron spots, and, like, there was not much of a sense of build-up in this match. It kind of just went, right, I'm going to kick the fuck up, kill, like, kill you for 20 minutes. Yeah, kill. Um, like, for example, a Tiger suplex in on the apron in any other match would be the biggest part of the match. Yeah, it's all sort of merged into one, really, didn't it? And I spoke about those, that double stomp. That first one, it was shocking, it was savage, and it worked with what Kino was trying to do in this match. However, he then did two more later on in the match, and it was like, well, you've already done that, and they weren't as good as the first one. Um, 
However, that being said, the closing stretch of this match was absolutely fantastic. Really, really good. A possible controversial opinion here. Go on then, Chris. Um, I think Kaoki Amaya has the best dropkick in the world right now. Um, you say Okada, I'm going to slap you. I mean, Okada, man. You can't his, go past his drop Okada. Have, his dropkicks haven't been all that good for a while now. I disagree. I mean, like, he, it used to be, like, the best thing about him, but now it's just sort of less good. Like, remember how Randy Orson used to have the best dropkick in the world and then he just became less good? It's kind of getting to that stage with... Um, with... Do you know what has a good dropkick, but it's not pretty? Who? Walter. Walter does not have an impressive dropkick. It's he just impressive because have... he's big. No, exactly. So, like, he doesn't... It isn't a, even an exact dropkick. It's like... Uh, let me put it this way. If um, Okada Okiyamaya's dropkick is a sniper rifle, um, Walter's is a shotgun. <laughs> like, it's probably more likely to hit you just because it has such a wide range. <sighs> this match, Bala, then. Bala has good dropkicks. He does. This match. Yes, Kiyomaya's good. He's got good dropkicks. Yes, I agree with that. This match, though, and I'm going to go into my bit about Kiyomaya now because I know that you have a big thing for Kiyomai, you like Kiyomai, you Kiyomai see him as a good in, champion. Kiyomai's in one of my best matches this year against Go Shizaki. This, for me, it felt like a very, very, I don't want to say lifeless. It just, it felt very formulaic in it's quite like a few ways. Seen, it's felt, it feels like something you'd seen in the middle of a junior league. It was nothing special, Chris. And that's that's no, the thing. It's great, but not special. It's like in terms of like this is in a quality radius, not in terms of what the match is. Like if I was compare it in like just sheer quality of wrestling, it would be like the Naito um, white match from Destruction. Yeah, maybe. I just uh, there was never that moment. Like you had all these outstanding spots on the apron. You had the apron, the spike DDT on the apron. You had the um, the apron suplex, the full Nelson, sorry, on the apron. Um, you had the pendulum spot. You had the double stomps to the back of the head. Yeah, it all seemed to be moves for moves sake. There didn't seem to be a cohesion to, or a story behind all the moves. It was a, it was a good match and there was some great bits. It just, it felt like it could have been a lot more and that's not just Kino it's Kaito as well I think no it's, it's just how these two were structured their match I agree with that it's they're still great but still yeah I agree with you there was no real sense of pacing uh, again actually I think a better comparison in terms of that would be like Keith Lee and Di- um, Dijakovic from TakeOver where there was like no real sense of pacing um, or anything like that but it was still really good Kaito Though he is a very good seller, and you can see him being almost tailor-made for that babyface in peril, his selling went completely out of the window at the end of the match. Just completely yeah, out of the window. Not even like a fighting spirit way. We'll talk about like fighting spirit later on. Yeah. Um, it was just sort of... Yeah, I do agree. Um... Almost like he completely forgot to sell. I mean, at one point, Kino hit him with, I can't remember if it was a knee or if it was a some manner of kick, and literally Kiyomaya got straight back up and hit him with a drop kick. Yeah. 
And it's like, well, at least sell it a little bit. You've been dominated for so much of this match. You've been hit on the apron twice. You've been smashed into the guardrail. You've been smashed on the back of the head. All these things, and you're just not... You're just no-selling it at all. And much as that is my issue with Miyahara at times as well, who will just spam the knee strike, um, at least there's just something about Miyahara in a match. Miyahara is like um, heads and shoulders above everyone else in all Japan, which is a problem in all Japan. Like Noah feels a lot flatter. There are more people you can see as legitimate champions in Noah. I agree. I just, I don't, I don't know. Kiyomaya lacks that certain something. And it's hard to put a finger on. When I watch his matches, I'm not captivated. I wasn't captivated during this match. I am with a Miyahara match. I am with an Okada match. I'm I'm not captivated when I see Kiyomaya wrestle. I'm not invested in his matches. I've watched three of Kiyomaya matches now, and I've never been fully invested in his matches. And yes, I completely agree with whatever these people are going to say in comments. I agree that that is probably because I haven't seen the backstories or I haven't. Um, I don't understand the workings of Noah, and I agree with that to a certain extent. That's certainly why. But you can say that about all Japan as well, and. Miyahara, I am completely invested in his matches. There is something about it, and I think Kaito lacks that certain something. And he is a young guy. He is ridiculously young. In fact, he is 23 years old, for God's sake. So he's going to grow into that, and I have no doubt that he is going to have a GHC heavyweight title run in later years for the ages. But for me, at the moment... I didn't connect with this match. It was a good match, and I could see that visually. I mean, I gave it eight. But... I gave it eight, too. I gave it nine initially, but that's mostly because of the hype of how good Noah is. Yeah. I don't know whether it's because of who he was partnered with. I don't know whether it's because I'm just not... I've got this thing about Kaito. I mean, I watched the Kaito versus Marafuji match, and I felt the same. Um, and I can't remember who the other Kaito match I watched, but I, it was similar I've heard good things about the Goshiozaki match. Um, I mean, I've raged about it since I saw it. But, I don't know. Um, okay, this leads me on to two questions. Okay. Okay, first of all, um, what did you think of the rest of this card, like? Because I have mixed feelings about the card as a whole. Um, the rest of the card, I thought, was decent. Um, yeah, the thing is, because I've not seen a ton of Axis yet. You splurged over Axis going into this card, and then this mat. And like, I understand it was partly down to their like their, their opponents. I forget who they were. They didn't seem to be especially mobile. Uh, Masaki Tamaya and Yoshihiki Inamura. Yeah, there we go. Um, and like there was a botched Tower Dune spot, which sort of and everyone seemed to get flustered after the, after that botch, and it kind of had the whole match fall apart. I'm sure I'm sure it's better matches because I hear a lot of people ra- um, raving over. Access, but some, but like, uh, I, I think we mentioned it earlier. Earlier in the card, when the two big men just killed each other, <laughs> that was the biggest surprise all year for me. Um, like, that would be Fujita and Taniguchi. Yeah, what the fuck was? Why? What happened? Uh, it went seven minutes and fifty-seven seconds, and I've heard and we, loads of people talk about this match. And Fujita just gave, is a bastard. We gave it an eight. We did. Fujita is a bastard. 
um, Marafuji versus Muta was about as good as you could expect it to be, honestly. It was. Um, I think the wrong person Mi- won, but that's beside the Mar- point. Marafuji's on this strange losing streak right now. Because he, he didn't is. get a single point in the N1. Really? Yeah, not one point. You that look it does up. seem strange. Seriously. Um, so, yeah, the whole, this whole card was good TLDR. Um, also, like, there's a weird question. Because you say you don't like Kaito as an ace figure. So, like, when you look at ace figures outside of New Japan, because, like, of course, like, Okada is headlining the Tokyo Dome. He's going to seem bigger. But you look at, like, um, Kenta Miyahara. You have Hiroshima in um, DDT. You have um, Kaito here in Noah. Hell, you could even go, like, out a bit further feel like with Sardom you have like Mayu or like some say Momo but I see Mayu more as an ace figure or um, Satamora in Sanai Girls or Sakasaki in TJPW like who what do you think is missing from Kaito let's say a Miyahara or a Mayu because like honestly like if we go like go on a random tangent what I think a good ace should have is if an outsider comes in, you have to you should automatically side with your ace. Like for example, um, someone from Marvelous came in for um, I've forgotten the name, which is bad because she uh, I gave that match a really high score, but she came in and um, faced May, and no matter how impressive I found her, because she like kicks like Arisa and throws bombs like Jungle, so like of course I love her. But, um, fuck it, Iohara, not Iohara, I can't say it, Some, I can't say it, but, like, um, she came in, and, like, no matter how impressed I was by her, I was rooting for Mayo, because that's the ace of my company. One of my main problems with Kaito is, it's all very well and good how you are when you are being dominated, and Kaito is, (laughs) (laughs) Kaito is great, as being the underdog in a championship. He's good at being dominated. He's very good he's at being good, dominated. He's, he's a great sub. <laughs> he's, he's really good on the back foot, basically playing second fiddle to the more dominant person. And Kaito's, uh, sorry, Kento's the same. Uh, Okada's the same. However, you legitimately believe in Miyahara or Okada or even Mayu when they are dominant and, on, on, and in charge. You believe that they are going to win the match. You believe that they are going to pull something spectacular out of the bag. With Kaito, I don't get that. Well, you say that. like you, we, I know I sort of forced this Mayu um, comparison in there, but like um, both ones we've done for Stardom Castle, like um, Kagetsu and um, Momo, she was on the back foot until like the last five minutes. Not true. Not true. That's one against uh, Momo. She wasn't at all. In fact, okay. Momo, she dominated. Okay, Momo's a bad example. I'm, I'm thinking more of the, um, the match from with Ahura from... Or I can't say it properly. From the last one, which you need to see already because I want to talk to someone about it. And that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But you, you look at that. That's two matches we've reviewed of Mayu. And she has had two different matches she's yeah. been dominated and she has been the dominator stop laughing <laughs> <laughs> i just but, feel but... that kiyomaya matches and kiyomaya in general is a little bit copy and paste okay I've... well I'll, i will say the gojiozaki match is different from this one and i it's... will 
I will go out and check that out. I don't want to not like Kaito. I'm just, I'm not, I'm nowhere near invested in him as a character. I'm nowhere near as invested in him as I am in Miyahara. And I've seen the same amount of Miyahara matches that I've seen as, oh no, actually that's a lie. I've seen far more Kento matches, but that's beside the point. <laughs> I've, um... I just, I don't buy him as a legitimate top of the card champion and i think that's probably what it is i think i think the problem is noah sort of had to force an ace into it because like marifuji can't be ace forever and like he can't book himself as ace now because he's president of the company but that's not a good luck uh, didn't stop uh jeff jarrett didn't stop <laughs> didn't stop cody um Wee. actually it's quite funny because um when in terms of like booking yourself at the top of the company there's two type ways to do it you have triple h um, where you just make yourself the smartest. Or you have the Antonio Inoki slash Jeff Jarrett slash Hogan. Actually, no, it is. It's like Antonio Inoki did it to Hogan. Then Hogan was like, fine, I'm going to do it to everyone else. Then Hogan did it to Jarrett, and Jarrett was like, I'm going to do it to everyone else. But sh- like the way Hogan does it goes down. So basically what you're saying is that the reason we have Hulkamania was because of Inoki. No, no, literally because... Um, the bastard! No, Inoki's a right... Like, We'll get into it when we get on to um, the New Japan match we're doing today. But, like, Enoki was fucking crazy. <laughs> he was. He was. Um, I think we should probably move on from my hatred of, Kato, of Kaito. Uh, well, can I ask, just ask you one question about Go for it. this? What do, you th- what do you think of Noah's current aesthetic versus his old one? Um, by the old one, do you mean the green matting? The, like the emerald um, look, yeah. I... The whole green thing set it apart from every other wrestling company. Mm-hmm. But what they've got going on at the moment makes it look like a very clean, very modern um, promotion. Now, I don't know enough about the history of um, Pro Wrestling Noah to know about all the historical aspects of you know the way they did things before, I to don't have the the green was more homage to like Miyahara, um, not Miyahara, Misawa. <laughs> Misawa sorry, who started it. So, and I think that's, I think that's important. Um, and I, I've allegedly they're going to bring it out for like big events, but also this is essentially their Wrestle Kingdom. So, I don't have strong feelings I, either I, way. To be honest, I, th- no, I think like, if I followed Noah properly, I probably would, but I don't yeah. know enough about it. I, I didn't like it at first. I don't follow Noah. Really, but like as someone who like went back and watched all these like legendary matches, like you sort of do grow that attachment. It's sort of like how people want the old SmackDown fist back. Um, uh, when in reality, that's not going to fix WWE's problems, guys. Um, a good fisting should... is not going to solve your problems. <laughs> no, because I think because that's it. When me and Rob complain about stuff in New Japan, we complain about stuff that actually affects the products. When WWE fans are complaining about an awful product, they go, "If only they'd bring like." custom sets back and we brought back custom sets and you know what Rob that hasn't helped him at all it um, hasn't to be fair no <laughs> anyway um, I, I was, when you described it as a very clean look I saw it as quite sterile it's grown on me don't get me wrong but I think that's because I've seen like enough really good matches in that aesthetic to sort of have a different kind of attachment to it now it still feels like Noah don't get me wrong but <laughs> I know. I think it's just like 
you know what it's like? You know when um, the new IC title was introduced and we didn't know what to think about it because while it's a very pretty belt, it's not what we imagined the IC title to look like? Yeah, I get that. It, it's kind of that. The, uh, to be fair, I don't like the whole new Japanification of Noah right now. No, I think it's more a case of companies looking at it and going, well, this clearly works, let's just make it like this. Yeah, like You're taking the superficial aspects and just putting it back into a company that's not been drawing well. So. Let me tell you that, Noah are drawing a lot better than all Japan. Oh, they, they're, they're drawing a lot better now. They weren't. Like, last Sumo Hall show, they had to like beg WWE to use um, Kenta. Yes, that was uh, Marafuji versus Kenta, wasn't it? Yeah, that was for Marafuji's... To be fair, that was really good. It was all right. So, well, I say really good. I was, at the time, I was just gasping for a good Kenta match. <laughs> um, so, let's move on. What would you give this, Chris? I gave it, I initially gave it a nine, but again, that was definitely out of like, excitement for a new product that I care about. So, I'd, I'd give it an eight. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Let's give it an eight. Moving on then to match two, let's break up the whole Noah thing and let's start with another New Japan match. So, another G1 match and it's, in Sumo Hall. It's another G1 match in Sumo Hall. We seem to do a lot of G1 matches on this segment, but they are great matches, So, and this yeah, is no like, exception. Yeah. Um, at, at some point, I'm going to ask... But the problem is, um, I keep wanting to show Rob, like, Inoki, um, Inoki is in New Japan. Because a it's awful, and like I want to, this to be like an overall look at what Japanese wrestling was like, not just like for highlights. Because eventually you run out of highlights. And um, b they're not all up in New Japan World. So like if you wanted to watch Brock Lesnar versus Akabono, you'd have to <laughs> find the low quality rip on YouTube. Yes, that's a thing that happened. Um, and three, Rob doesn't let me pick the fucking matches, <laughs> so I keep having to try and trick him into watching shit I want him to watch. And it always backfires. <laughs> well, hopefully you did actually want to watch this match. Oh, and all the matches I put in are matches like I want to talk about in some respect. But every time I try to steer you towards something, I accidentally put Suzuki in one of the categories. <laughs> and you know I'm going to pick a Suzuki match. Yeah, no, I've just stopped putting them in now. It's that and Stan Hansen. It's just like, no, we need... We need... <laughs> We're going to run out of Suzuki and Stan Hansen match. Actually, with Suzuki, not so much, because he's like... Um, he's big everywhere he goes. Um, but anyway, so Shinya Hashimoto versus Keiji Muto, um, G1 Finals. And, okay, so, long story short, it's actually, it's much easier to get New Japan history now, because New Japan actually does little video essays. It's actually really good. It's called, like, the Can Out or something with Kevin Kelly. Okay. I'd actually recommend it. They're actually really good. Anyway, so... Earlier in Fuoka, um, I, I believe if I'm getting all this right, um, Hashimoto beat Mo, um, Muto, and then this was Muto getting his own back. But the like the three Musketeers were sort of like um, what the pil- four pillars are nowadays. But sort of like your established main event. If it's a main event, that one of them are probably in it. Yeah. And, like, it, to be fair, it's always been the same as the same over in All Japan at the time. And, but to be fair, from All Japan match we've seen from a similar time period, this is very, very, very different. It was. I was really excited to just watch a Hashimoto match because, unfortunately, my one exposure to Hashimoto was collision in Korea. Yeah, I was about to say, like, we haven't gone too far back in New Japan on here. 
Um, again, Rob ends up picking the matches. Don't blame me. But um, I, when we watched Collision in Korea, I was like, please, please, please don't let this color your view of Hashimoto. And it didn't, to be fair. Now it's because Scott Norton's in there. <laughs> yeah, I know that a lot of people um, are divided a little bit on Hashimoto. Um, and I, I, I think the issue is like they watch. Um, like when you go back to like 90 Japanese wrestling, of course, the first thing you do is stop off at the old Japan stuff. So when you watch the new Japan stuff, it's a t- bit of a culture shock because it's a very different style. Yeah, absolutely. And when you see the size of Hashimoto, I think you expect him to be, you know, a big striker and things like that. Yeah, exactly. A bruiser, a Stan Hansen sort of person. And he's not. You look at the start of this match and, you know, you've got Muto still very obviously injured from the flair match before that and then Norton the day before. You've got Hashimoto literally picking him apart, picking the knee apart and being very, very clever with the way that he's working the match. Which is why I kind of scoff when people um, talk about Jay White not being like good for New Japan. Because <laughs> this is what that's the New Japan house style. Like we deviated away from that because um, ke- um, partly because of Kenny Omega. And don't get me wrong, I love those matches. I I still really like stuff like this, and I wish there was more stuff like this. It's kind of because like. The closest thing I can get to with Hashimoto is like a mix between... It sounds weird given the size of him, but a mix between Tiger Mask and Jay White. Yeah, and when like you... Like original Tiger Mask. Because like the kicks he throws, Jesus. Those kicks were horrible. Those kicks not... were absolutely savage. Yeah, not just that. Some of them were quite pretty. Like, he didn't he do a soul butt at one point? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Um, I, just, I, I really, really enjoyed... And I think this is probably because... I enjoy the way Jay White works, and I can't quite believe that we're comparing Hashimoto to Jay White, but that's apparently weird, the route we're going down. Because, like, um, like, you'd assume he'd work well with Scott Norton because it would be like a big hot match. Let's just know what New Japan did. New Japan was, def- at this time, was like, I don't want to quite say the perfect blend because I wasn't around to watch the product, but a really good blend between like martial arts and wrestling. You like, look the, at, breaks, the breaks in this match, like the periods where like not much was happening, where the selling was happening, that's probably how long you take to recover from one of those kicks. Muto sold it fantastically. And Muto was a great seller. I think Hashimoto, they, they, they paced this match very, very well. And by that, I mean, you've got, you look at Stan Hansen versus Kobashi, which we've, we've reviewed on this segment. You kind look of. at... Um, this match, and rather than just going at it like absolute bastards, like they did in that All Japan match, here they started differently. They started with Hashimoto trying to take apart Muto before eventually you built to that crescendo of the two trying to beat the living shit out of each other to that eventual, you know, that fighting spirit from Muto who eventually overcomes the odds. You know, even though he misses the first moonsault, and you think, well, fuck, that's it then. But then he almost slips on the second moonsault. He does. That's that's one of the most brutal, like, because he was pissing with blood at that point, because Hashimoto dropped him on his head. Yes. And that split him over. It was disgusting. And then when he went for it and he just missed it, like, I can't think of a moonsault miss, like a regular non-off-the-top cage moonsault miss um, that hurt that much. It looked like, awful. The, 
closest I can think is Cody at Full Gear because he was already pissing with blood. Yeah, okay, okay. But also, like, that was not nearly... Like, the AW Matt does not seem half as hard as the All Japan Matt. I wouldn't be surprised if All Japan just used the... Bo- if New Japan rather just used the boxing ring. Just a concrete floor. I mean, it is a no-key. Um, True. What I'll go on to in a second for circumstances of which both Muta and um, Hashimoto left the company. Um, it's crazy, believe me. Um, but yeah, like, it's... What, when people complain about there being like too much, like uh, this match proves that you can have like a brutal crescendo match under half an hour. Again, you're absolutely right. It went well. How long did it go? Let's have a look. It went. No, strong style used to literally be like short, like well, not short, but like not long. Like King's Road was the long one. Like all Japan were the ones renowned for long main events. Twenty-four minutes and eight seconds. It went. It flew by. <laughs> it built so well. I mean, from everything from, like I say, the st- you had three very distinct sections, and it was perfect. They melded together to create a really, really good, enjoyable, engaging matchup. From the moment that Muto begins bleeding to that random Frankensteiner, which was <laughs> great, to Hashimoto delivering brutal badass kicks to the moment that Muta wins with that moonsault, it's paced very, very well, and it doesn't overstay its welcome, whether that's because Hashimoto can not go that long or whether it's because that's what they were thinking about. I think you've been unfair saying that, because Hashimoto didn't seem... like, But he seems about as um, gassed as Muto by the end. Yeah, I agree. I mean, don't get me wrong, Muto had had to sell a lot and had taken a lot, but... That's beside the point. It was a very, very good match and a match I thoroughly enjoyed. Well, I want to say when, like, the brief moments where they were, like, delivering bombs, it wasn't, like, bomb after bomb after bomb. They'd, like, be fighting to get the bomb off. Yeah, at no point did we get to the ridiculous forearm exchanges that we are so accustomed to now. No, and, like, don't get me wrong, I like that. But, like, shit like this is why I like Jay White. Jay White is literally, like, strong style... Incarnate. I get people don't like him, but people don't like him because he's not Kenny Omega and they're fucking stupid. Um, I mean, there is each to their own, but and you know there are people that don't like um, like, Jay White, but there's also people that don't like Hashimoto for that exact reason. He was a slower paced wrestler. Yeah, but like you, that was just I was just New Japan at the time. Like Chona was the exact same, well not the exact same, but he was slower. That's partly because of a neck injury, to be fair, but still. I was just going to say, was that because of his working style or because of the injury? Yeah, to, to, he really changed after the injury. But to be fair, like, I don't know. Like, I I do like this, though. Like, I didn't, wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd want a whole card around it. But, like, with Jay White having been, like, the sole proprietor of this kind of thing, I'm dead into it. Yeah, and I really, really enjoyed this foray into the backstory of Hashimoto. Now, moving back, Moving beyond this, Chris, the mm-hmm. future of Hashimoto and Muto. Would you like oh, you to explain? To... All right. So, in the case of Muto, he kind of Muto is very like easy to explain. He basically got alienated by Enochism, left, joined Old Japan, um, kind of helped get that afloat again, and then fucked it. <laughs> yep, I'd heard that. Yeah, like he fu- and make, went off to make Wrestle One. Um, like Old Japan just couldn't catch a break, could they? <laughs> 
the like, amount they, of exoduses was ridiculous. They've, they've had the one to create um, WAR, the one to create Noah. And to be fair, the WAR one wasn't bad because they still had um, Jumbo Saruda and they had like, um, and they had enough young ta- over young talent that they could b- push them into that spot. It's basically like when like Nakamura and AJ exodus from New Japan. But then the Noah one. Um, out of all the contracted people from from all Japan who jumped to Noah, how many stayed? Um, there was one Japanese talent that stayed. Actually, there was two. Oh, Kawada was one, yeah. Yeah, now Kawada took a while to come over, basically when all Japan stopped drawing. And then, like, Kawada was in New Japan for a while. It's weird. And then, like, San Hansen stayed because he was extremely loyal to Baba. Which, to be fair... I, I kind of I do kind of like how apparently backstage Dan Hansen is a bit of a sweetheart. Well, he doesn't look like that in the ring, fucking hell. No, he doesn't. Actually, you know what's weird? Like Dan Seven um looks less scary than Hansen, but is much more scary. I mean like he looks like you know um what's his thing? Like Monica's boyfriend from Friends, um Richard. He looks like Richard from Friends. He does a little bit. He does. Yeah. And um, have you heard the story of, um, so Dan Seven, they were going to have him join the um, the ministry and have like 666 over his head. Now, Dan Seven is someone who did wrestling because he liked it. He did not care that much about earning money because he got that from like shoot fighting. So but he was like, um, they were like, okay, we're going to put 666. And he's like from a small Christian town. He's like, I can't go back to my town like that. I'm not doing it. And then events apparently tried to pull the, well, if you don't do what I say, we can make things very difficult for you. And he was like, what do you mean by that? He was like, well, we can make you lose a lot of matches. And apparently Dan just turned to Vince and said, well, you can ask me to lose a match. <laughs> Legend. There was an alternate timeline where that happened, like the day of the Royal Rumble, and he just shot one of Royal Rumble. <laughs> shot won the title at WrestleMania. What yeah. is happening? <laughs> and Jim Cornette's probably like, oh, this is the best thing ever. But, um, yeah, so um, I've done over told you this story before. The way, um, <laughs> the way Hashimoto left was a bit more weird. So, like, Hashimoto was always going to leave um, New Japan for a wee bit. He was going to create Zero One, and it was going to be basically a way for Hashimoto to get some time. Because he's been on top for a long time. This was, like, 2000-something. And they were like, okay, you're going to take time away. And um, you can cut, uh, you can do this for a while. You'll still be making a decent amount of money when you come back. And when we can bring you back fresh-faced, basically. Good idea. You know, how can I miss you if you never go away? <laughs> so, you know how Antonio Inoki is crazy? I've heard rumors. Yeah, um so um I forget what his name, but like um So Hashimoto was having this trilogy with this judoka. Um no that's the name of it. Um what's the name of a judoka because judoka is a girl. What's the name of a dude judo person? I have no idea. I, I'm just gonna say a judo guy. Um he had this feud going on with a judo guy. And um the rubber match was gonna be the main event of the Tokyo Dome show. What? Yeah, so Antonio Inoki told the judo guy to shoot on Hashimoto. What? But never never told Hashimoto that's what was going to happen. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, it led in, like, you know, like, um, I think it was um, McGregor Khabib, like, when, like, that, 
Like basically that happened in what was meant to be a <laughs> It was meant to be a work match. Oh my god. <laughs> and so like Hashimoto was like, Well, I'm still gonna go make zero one, but I'm not fucking coming back. That's horrendous. To be fair, it's not the um to be fair, New Japan had to do something bad with um Hashimoto after so when Hashimoto died, right? Yes. Um New Japan retired like the old IWGP one, the one that looks like a crown. They retired that out of respect yep. for Hashimoto. Like when whoever won it won it, they put it in front of a picture of ha- um of Hashimoto and because he he's one he's basically the most respect um New Japan guy from the nineties, like in Japan, from my understand. And like went to the back and then like a design more reminiscent of what we know as the IWGP title was debuted. Brock Lesnar won that title. And um Ben took um took it home. He was never contracted to, to New Japan and didn't give the title back, so he had to bring back the old title that we retired in commemoration of a dead guy because Brock Lesnar refused to give him back their title. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. And then we had to do this whole convoluted thing because Ben Anoki made his own um his old fed- his own federation, the Anoki Genome Federation. And um, that's still going and is apparently awful because the Nokiaism is not good. And we ha- then had to bring in Kurt Angle to beat Brock Lesnar. Um, and then Kurt Angle stole that belt off of Anoki Genome Federation and got it back into New Japan. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Talk about fucking convoluted. Can you kind of see how like New Japan kind of wasn't might not be doing well around about five years after this. Just absolutely ridiculous. So like, who won the, the shoot match between the judo man and Shinya Hashimoto? It kind of just got thrown out. Did it? I'm going to have to watch this now. There was. I don't think it's on World, is the thing. Believe it or not, really. Yeah, like a, a lot of that um, time period is on World. Actually, um, there's a decent documentary on it um, that I'll throw because it, um, it was a wee documentary, like fan-made documentary but it's really well put together um about brock lesnar's run and it starts with this as a context to what new japan was like at the time brilliant yeah so like and i like i really 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 want to show you like that period of new japan because it is like you have bob saffron in the title um one title match like remember this way non-title matches what lesnar had nakanishi nagata you know these aces of the company actual title matches lesnar had uh akibono and um, who was the other? oh giant Bernard, who hated Lesnar? Fucking hell! Fucking yeah. hell! Has this fried your brain? I need to stop talking about New Japan right now. Yeah, like the, again, you can see how like there was a time where we couldn't even get ten thousand paying people into the Tokyo Dome. Right, let's move on then. Our third and final match, away from the absolute lunacy that is uh, New Japan in the noughties and mid and late nineties. It is from two thousand and four, from the twenty fifth of April two thousand and four. The match between Kenta Kabashi and Yoshihiro Takayama. Uh, it is from the Noah Encountering Navigation two thousand and four night fourteen show, and it was of course for the GHC Heavyweight championship uh takiyama had already held this championship in 2002 um, he is one of only two people to hold both that the triple crown and then the iwgp heavyweight championship as well chris can you tell me who the other one is 
Kenneth Kiyosaki. You've got it up, haven't you? No, no, I just know it. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's, only, there's only two people. It's not like it's a fact that you need to be told once, and then you kind of. It's only two names. Yeah. Um. Also, apparently, Takayama, a very, very established MMA fighter. Um. um well, not quite. I mean, um. So, um, he's had fights. But I was kind of because of Enokiism. Like Enoki would make his wrestlers do MMA fights. It's why so many like, it's why like people like Nagata and Liger have MMA records because literally, um. Anoki would push them into it. And also, if they, if they were champion and lost the MMA fight, they'd be stripped of their title. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's why Takayama had a record. Now, he has never... He's never had a non-contested win. But um, he's a legendary in MMA because of his match with Don Fry. Yes. Where, like, they just kept punching each other. <laughs> Well, I mean, his mixed martial arts record, he's had a total of five bouts mm-hmm. with one win yeah. by knockout and then four losses, two by yeah. submission and two by knockout. So when I say established, I mean that he's had proper he has fights. Yes, he like, has. The reason, the reason Nakamura got pushed so early was because he had a winning MMA record. So this match then, Chris. Um, for a start... At the time of this match, Takayama was an IWGP tag team champion alongside Minoru Suzuki, so he has made his way onto the classic the classic match review, even if we're I not reviewing his match. I was like, fuck, we can't escape him, can we? Um, <laughs> yeah, because for a while, like Noah and New Japan had a kind of working relationship, because basically Masawa turned up for like one uh, match with Chono between... And like... For, connection was made because at the oh fuck what's it called i think it's called the grand voyage the tokyo dome show a uh, great voyage um, great voyage there we go but they're all called voyage it's very around this time it's very hard to fucking remember um tanahashi was going for the ghc title so right okay and okay like like is a former ghc junior champion as well yeah um this match then um they were building takiyama as basically the biggest threat to Kobashi's championship that he'd had in what would be ultimately um, a ridiculously long reign. Did you say two long. years? It was, it, was a, it was either close to or just over two years, yeah. It was It was the It was the GHC heavyweight title reign, really. Do you know, do you know who beat him? I was just going to tell you that, and now I can't remember. Was it Masawa? No, it wasn't Masawa. That's who Kobashi beat. Right. I think, I, actually, I think I'm scared. I'm going to get it wrong now. I think it was um, no, no. It was either Akira. Ta- I'm going to double check this now because I have forgotten. Akira Tozawa, <laughs> not to Taz- Akira Tawe. Oh, I thought you said Tozawa. I was like, are you being serious? No, hang on. GHC. Well, um, World Heavyweight Championship rings. I'm also looking at this now. Um, GHC Heavyweight Championship because there kind of been a ton of rings. Takeshi Rikio. There we go. Oh, fucking Rek- I, f- I thought it was before. I, f- I thought Rekio was like... I thought Taui beat Kibashi and then it was Rekio. Rekio had an awful reign. Well, I mean, you're following a two-year reign from one of the yeah, legends but... of Pura Resu. I yeah, mean... also, uh, yeah, it was just over two years, by the way. He won it in March 2003 off of Masawa. And then um, Rekio beat him on March 5th, 2005. Thing is with Rekio... He was a judo guy that they pushed too soon. 
Was it was it the judo guy that shoot um shoot no, tried to no, wrestle no, no, no. it? Hashimoto. Um no, that's that's someone different. No, it was a sumo guy, not a judo guy. I'm getting mixed up. Um and then yeah, because then Tawe beat Rikio and then um Akiyama beat Tawe and then Maru basically um between Kabashi and Masawa, Tawe, Akiyama and Marufuji had failed runs. But weren't drawing, so Masawa then had to take it for 448 days. <laughs> That's awful. Cause, like no, because literally no one else. Like, and like it wasn't through not trying, just no one because it was a mix of like they didn't get good TV time. So like the only audiences it was going in front of was like live audiences. Yeah. So like it's very hard to build up new stars. Like it took ages for like Marufuji to take and stuff like that. So, and like the only other options really were Kensuke Suzuki and Minoru Suzuki, both of which were fl- freelancers. So both of which had a chance of just taking off. And then around like what 2006? No, no, cause, yeah, around 2006. I think that's around the time problems with Lesnar was happening. <laughs> so, but so they were like, yeah, we're not fucking risking this. Lesnar just fucks everything up. I love it. It's yeah, no, amazing. Le- yeah, like you, if you think Lesnar's negligent nowadays, his fucking New Japan run. Jesus Christ. Um. Anyway, this match. This match. This match. This match was great. This match, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. I was into it from bell one to the end. It was great. The only thing I was surprised was that Kabashi dominated the opening exchanges. Yeah. Which surprised me because I expected Takayama to come out like an absolute house on fire and just absolutely okay. beat the shit out of Kabashi. Things with Takayama. He is definitely... Have you ever seen that episode of The Simpsons? This is going to sound weird. Go with me. Um, where Homer becomes a boxer? Yes. And then like he becomes a good boxer because he takes a million hits and then the opponent gets tired and he just nudges them down? Yes. That's kind of what Takayama is like. Is he's, he the boxer he's... or the boxy? He's he's the guy getting he's the guy who'll take an abnormal amount of punishment and then when you're tired start beating the shit out of you. Right, okay. So yeah, that surprised me a little bit, but then obviously once he took charge, it was a masterclass in basically targeting a limb. Um absolutely dominating the arm. It was uncomfortable to watch at times. Yeah, especially given the size of him. Like it's kind of interesting to see like how Noah's now know it is sort of headlined by a lot of smaller guys. So like you have like Go Shizaki, um is sort is fairly big there, like could you have like Kano, Kaito, Marafuji, Olive were juniors. Like and to be fair, I'm not surprised that's the way they went considering like Kenta became one of their big stars. But yeah. Yeah, it was the way to go, definitely, you know, in the climate that they started to push all of them. But in this match, it takes a lot to make Kabashi, who at this L- point was enormous, like mostly a- not fat. Like he was, Ken- he was fucking Stan Hansen size, yeah. Exactly, and to make him look small and to make him look like the underdog. I mean, I know a lot of his championship defenses. He was the underdog in some way. This, however, he was just. It was so, so well done that Takayama just looked far, far bigger than him, far more superior than him. And even though there was nothing outright, you know amazing from this match no massive massive spot aside from perhaps you know the suplex from off the apron onto the floor which was fucking ridiculous yeah and also like kabashi's moonsault which like 
makes sense when you're seeing him like in old Japan, but here it's like, how the fuck is he doing that? I mean, can we just talk about that moonsault for a second? Because he landed all on kinds of onto uh, Takayama's face. His thing, though, Takayama strikes me as a man who is very attractive before the first time he got punched. Yeah, um, he's, I mean, he's very unlucky, and that's an understatement. I mean, obviously, he had a stroke later that same year, 2004. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and now, on a, taking a, like, it was a, a normal bat bump, he paralyzed himself on a DDT show. Just landing straight on his head, paralyzed from the neck downwards, which is just awful, awful it for is the awful. poor bloke. And, like, I'm going to say, if you... There's a tacky yet tacky yet ah, tacky mania um, fund if you want to kick towards that because it's very rare. Like as fans outside of Japan, we get to like directly support someone. Like if you want to do that, I highly recommend it. Or um, Fire Pro Wrestling on I think it's only on Steam. I'm not sure if it's on the PSL version. Has tacky Ama DLC, but like two quid each. Two quid. One of them gets you for two quid gets you ta- the Atakiyama um, wrestler model. And with all the logic and the moveset, perfectly tuned. Um, with um, one move, which is like the Fry Takayama punch. And then, like, we have one get Paducah gets you like a ring and some logos and stuff like that. And, like, honestly, the DLC there isn't like the main part. The main part is like getting, is like being able to kick a small amount towards Takayama. And it's basically, because it, let's be honest, if you were going to donate, you probably wouldn't be donating more than like four quid. So, like, it's basically to incentivize people to do it because all the proceeds from that, because it basically costs them nothing to do it. So, all the proceeds from that go into Takayama. So, if you have five five pro, you should definitely do that. Um, It is a shame because, like, Takayama, like, I was going to bring up before um, this sad bit happened, I was going to do this right at the end. Um, He moved, like, I understand, like, he's in a world of hasses when it comes to this. But. He moves and acts so different from everyone else. He was a very, very different type of big man than, say, yeah. Hansen or Misawa um, or, or even Kabashi. Or yeah, Kibashi, or Gordy, absolutely. Or, um, how, but anyone, he's, I, I can't think of a direct comparison in my head right now. He was... He was... It looked, and this is going to sound really weird now, it looked, his offence looked... Sloppy. Walter, that's a good. Um, I think that's a good one. Where like he's doing very basic moves, very sloppily, but they work. It looks like it would hurt. Now I'm aware that he wasn't doing things sloppily, but he was doing things in a brutal way, very realistic way. You know, it's like it's like the um, New Japan match from before, where we're doing um, simple moves very realistically. <laughs> And I will just point out a big thing in this match, even though Takayama's big guy devastating brutality worked very well, a big thing in this match was Kabashi's selling. Now, I'm not out of line saying that Kabashi is probably the best seller in wrestling. Yeah, like, yeah, the fact that he could survive a losing streak when he first got, um, when he first started getting pushed in all Japan, sort of tells you all you need to know about selling. Only people who can sell really well can get away with a losing streak. I mean, his babyface performance in this match alone is outstanding. But then, you know, when you put it together with matches in other companies that we've seen, I mean, we this isn't the first time we've reviewed Kabashi, and, you know, I doubt it'll be the last. But the man's selling, the man's timing, the man's... <laughs> 
there are many times that he could have just hulked up and stopped the match, you know, winning the match. But instead, not only did he build a legitimate contender in Takayama, he also put that match just long. It was 20-odd minutes. He built it just long enough so that when he hit that moonsault, that horrible moonsault onto Takayama's face, that it meant so much more. He had such yeah. an in-ring awareness. It was fantastic. Really was. What I, what I also love is that Kabashi, like, it's sort of like where people praise Walter um, nowadays, but like back then in like Noah and all that, it was the standard where you have so many, he has so many moves that he can beat people with. Like he has this brain buster, the orange crush, the, um, and like, of course the burning hammer. The burning hammer was such a protected move. But when he went for when he went for it, when he teased just teased possibly doing it, the crowd popped. It, do you know what as well? That really impressed me that he knew that because of the beating that he'd taken at the hands of Takiyama, he couldn't then perform the burning hammer because his back had mm-hmm. gone, his legs had gone, his entire upper body but, uh, was just it, shot. It also showed his desperation. Because he only pulled out the burning hammer seven times in his whole career. Yeah, exactly. But this is a fucking difficult challenge. I need to do something extraordinary. I need to Mm -hmm. go for the burning hammer. But, and this is where so many matches now need to learn. They need to learn that, you know what, Miyahara, your your back is fucked. So therefore you can't do the shutout, shutdown suplex. That's actually, whatever it's called. That's my main problem with the uh, Miyahara um, Yuma match from the other week is that like um, he should have won with something that wasn't the shutdown suplex because realistically you can't get him up with how fucked your arm's been. Exactly. And that can't... Like, and even that Kato match today. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, because like, the amount you've been through, you shouldn't be fucking walking, mate. <laughs> exactly. And yes, I understand that you've got to suspend your disbelief. I absolutely I understand, understand that. Like, that's the style we've moved into but like in the case of kento he's doing stuff like this where it's all very simple and it's all about how you do it yeah and so like, in, like well, i understand with kaito it's a different thing kaito's a lot more flashy but like i think kento miyahara is a closer comparison here and he's not that's the problem like people looked at the king's road style and they and like the superficial elements got lifted so like um veneer falls got lifted because his thing there wasn't many near falls in this match, but you're still in suspense the whole time. So, like, near falls got lifted, um, finish kick out, again, near falls got lifted, and a lot of the moves got lifted. Like, I understand people talk about, like, how watered down the super kick of the DDT is. I think the treatment people give the burning hammer nowadays is even worse. Yeah, and I think, obviously, the more wrestling we're exposed to, the more that's going to happen to moves. Well, I mean, like, God when brings I was... it up all the time, the DDT. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, like, now someone has a DDT, it's like, well, that's a fucking weak finish. But, like, I don't know, like, the DDT got brought out every match, so I think, like, the watering down was almost... Inevitable. <laughs> yeah, but, like, in the case of Kibashi, did it seven times in his whole career, and then, like, when Elgin did it, but, like, when Elgin did it in New Japan, it would be against someone much higher in the Tottenham Pong win him, and it would win him the match. Now you have, like, Trent Seven pulling out every week on NXT UK. You have, um... You just have so many people doing burning hammers. You, like you had um, Tyler Rex doing a like what they called a burning hammer, and it just wasn't. And like, and I'm not being funny. Like, 
I, I understand like Vidi like people get mad about Vidi and all that. Like in terms of watering down, nothing's been fucked more than the Burning Hammer. They're not being funny. A DDT, um, DDT happened every match, or like the super kick from Shawn Michaels that didn't always finish a match. Burning Hammer happened seven times in fifteen years, and never got kicked out of. Yeah, I'm. I'm just trying to think of all the examples. Um, but I agree. The suplex used to be an exotic move. It's just how wrestling goes. But like, I like it's again. The most superficial elements of King's Road got lifted and put into other styles, which again is fine, but also like no consideration of how it worked. You know what I mean? It's like if it's like when people try to steal a joke from a stand-up comedian, and not understand like the delivery is a lot of the reason why that joke worked. Like for example, if I try to tell you say a Frankie Boyle joke, it's not going to be funny because it's he his way of delivery is very different from mine. Like, the only match I can think that sort of pays homage to the King's Road style but doesn't just take the superficial elements like the move, like the near fall, is in the last while outside of Japan is um, Walter versus Bait because they actually took, like, the escalation from the King's Road style, which we were just talking about, but, like, escalated it even more. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, So... We didn't give a rating for the Hashimoto match, Chris. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a rating. I'm not sure you're going to agree with me. Are you going to give it nine? I'm giving it a ten. The Hashimoto match? Yeah. Wow, we're miles apart. I give it an eight. <laughs> me in the middle? Yeah, me in the middle, nine. Um, this match, oh, I don't know. <sighs> King George matches are so hard because you're so scared for everyone's health while they're happening. It's almost a nine plus this match. I see what you mean. Like, um, problem was like standout spots, I guess, but also like this isn't a match that needed standout spots. Honestly, if we're going nine plus, I wouldn't be averse to calling it a ten because I have no issues. No, and it was and, like, it was this... a really really good match. Yeah, like there was no yeah. I honestly be fine giving it, a nine. especially because like you know a match is great when you spend a long time gushing over a small detail we just spent um 15 minutes gushing about how um about a small point of this match where kabashi teased a move yeah no fair enough we'll give it 10 then we'll give it 10 who gives a shit if we're called smarks am i right well like every time i talk about stardom gaff bullies me so (laughs) anyway ladies and gentlemen about stardom outside of our chat and like having a, a perfectly, um, an absolutely perfectly lovely conversation with some random person about a stardom match, and he just turns up. I'm like, please, Garth, let me enjoy my things. <laughs> oh, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. We've given you our views on these three matches. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Please let us know in the comment section below or wherever you get your podcasts. Whatever. Talk to us on Twitter at Podmania or at Young Lioncast even. I apologise. At Podmania is the network. Do it to ours, at Young Lioncast. Um, You can talk to us on Facebook, at Young Lioncast, same one. 
Our podcast is everywhere. Please go subscribe to it. Talk to us. Um, go to www.podmania.co.uk to get to the archives of all our podcasts and check out our match ratings as well. You can talk to me on Twitter at RealRobGoodwin. Where can they talk to you, Chris? Podmania. I'm not repeating, but we like you got the joke last time. You don't need the joke in this one. Yeah, and that's if you found it funny the last time, because there's a high to probability me, that you didn't. To be honest, yeah, I'm fi- I think the joke's ran its course, but also I don't use my Twitter enough to ke- to change its handle. Maybe you should change it to the Chris Corner. I'm, I'm, I I assure you that's taken. <laughs> we'll find a way. We'll find a way of it not being taken so that Chris can change his uh, Twitter handle and might actually start using it again, ladies and gentlemen. Wouldn't that no, be I, something? I don't use it because, like, I could either... Because only, the only thing I care to tweet about is, like, wrestling. When it comes to something like music or something, that's more of a personal thing, and I talk to people. Um, so, like, why would I tweet about wrestling on the account with, like, 20 followers instead of the tweeting about wrestling on the account with a 1,000 followers that someone might listen? And, like, we listen to this podcast for our opinions, so, like it would naturally follow on. And on I mean, that Gaff bombshell, like ladies opinion. and gentlemen, <laughs> on that Gaff bombshell. Like my opinion. So like he gets annoyed whenever I post, I posted my problems with takeover and he was like, actually, no, I once said, to, I once replied to a Jim Cornette tweet a few weeks ago and went, um, Oh, and, and basically said, um, respect other people's opinions, Jim. And Garth was like, you should keep your hot takes off of Twitter, off of our Twitter. I'm like, it's not a fucking hot take to say respect other people's opinions. Gaff. I agree with Garth, but it's not a hot take. We'll talk to you guys later.